know me. My name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and we're in the middle of a series called You're Not the Boss of Me, and this is a summer series that we've loved engaging together, and, you know, as the title kind of implies, you know, we, you know, this this very strong-willed approach, right? Don't tell me what to do and all those different things, and and really it's the, about that, that attitude is this desire for us to be, to be independent. You know, we want to be able to do our own thing and run it. And you look at different positions, maybe in the companies that you work for or desires that you have in the future, you want to be that person that's in charge. Like we, we kind of always have that desire. But to do that well, we, we need to understand that there's more than just our abilities. There's, there's something going on inside of us, in our hearts, that Jesus has helped us understand that is critical and so the gospel writers who understood Jesus' message have really helped us unpack this. And so we've been looking at that throughout this series. And so we're looking at the emotions that we need to pay attention to that compete for our moods. And what eventually comes out of our mouth and the things that we say are really coming from inside. Those moments where we say, oh, I, I was just tired. I didn't need to say it. That's not really me. But Jesus is helping us understand that we should pay attention to that. And so we've talked about guilt how powerful that is. We've talked about envy and anger and fear. And what happens is these emotions actually become our boss. And they leak out and they affect you and everyone around us. And so we're learning to say to these emotions, you're not the boss of me. They're actually many times running our life. And so those emotions we talk about so far are pretty easy to spot. Like we, we know when we're angry, anger just kind of pops out. We're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't mean to do that. And, and you see it, you can kind of, you understand that that's happening. But today I want to talk about destructive emotions that actually disguise themselves and are harder to see. And what's really interesting about these emotions is they disguise themselves or we disguise them, we put them as virtues. You know, we, we present them as, you know, this is a good thing for me to do. And they disguise themselves as things like compassion or sympathy or care or concern and even love. Love is a term that's thrown around a lot in our culture these days, and it's great. And, and our idea of love is actually a, a Christian, a Judeo-Christian idea. You can trace it through our, our desire to love one another and give value it comes from what God has given us. And so these disguise themselves like that. But here's the thing. To care for somebody or to love someone doesn't always feel that way. So caring doesn't always feel care. Care, excuse me, doesn't always feel like caring. And so it's hard because we, we, were, we were doing something to love someone. We need to say something and care for them. Sometimes it's not an easy thing to do. And so when you do it, it doesn't feel like it at all. You feel like you're doing the opposite. And maybe both parties feel that way. And that's really hard to navigate. Love. Love doesn't always feel loving. And this is a key thing for you and I to understand as we navigate relationships in our lives. As we want to care for people and love people well. Love, what love demands sometimes is more than what we, what we always categorize it as. And that, when we do that, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like you're actually loving someone. And so we want to back away. We feel that tension and we don't engage. We're afraid. So what love requires of us many times can feel anything but loving. But every good parent knows this. 
They know, like, for you to say no to your child, <laughs> it doesn't feel very loving, right? Like, they, they, but it's what is necessary. Like, you, there's some things that we do with our children we, that leads them away from danger. We don't allow them to do certain things, and that's the loving thing. It's the proper thing to do. We save them from harm. We lead them to good interactions, emotions. We know what's best for their heart. They don't understand it. They can't see beyond that. But we have the wisdom and knowledge to do that. That's, what we, that's why we call it parenting. But it's tough with others in our lives, with family members, with friends, with church, family, community, with people that you live around, your roommates, whatever it may be, to say words that are sometimes hard to say is tough. And we don't do it many times because of, of many things. There's a fear of rejection. We don't, like, I don't want to say things. This is one that I struggle with, right? We, the, I, don't, I don't want people to think bad of me. What do they think of me as a pastor if I say this? Maybe they walk away from me as a, as a friend. So we, we have a fear of rejection. There's discomfort with conflict. What if they don't like the words I say? So we kind of push away. And there's apprehension around confrontation. There's apprehension. We have discomfort, apprehension, and fear of rejection. And there's been times in my life, like, I've wanted to say something, but I'm, I'm afraid of what they'll think, and so I don't say what really needs to be said. And what's interesting is these emotions, like I said earlier, disguise themselves. And they disguise themselves as sensitivity and concern. And so I'm like, well, you know what? This person, they're just going through a tough time. And so, maybe, I mean, to, to say this just, you know, may not, may not be the best thing for them. You know, you know. This is the, not the best time, and so we, 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 we make these things up in our mind. We're like, well, they might get mad and all these different things. What if they walk away? And so I'm just going to keep that from happening in their lives. But what's really going on is we're afraid. We don't want them to reject us. We're not comfortable with conflict, and we get apprehensive. Of if any, you know, what if they confront me? And we do these things, and so we make up emotions that disguise these things. But what's interesting is those emotions begin to be the boss of you. And what I found, whenever I avoid that and I find that excuse, I'm just letting it build up, and it always becomes worse over time. I can always look back at what felt like such a small thing, and I was like, man, why didn't I say something? Because it would usually build up and build up and become something so much greater than it was at the time. And I let my fear drive bad decisions. And this can be with small things or big things. And this comes to play in leadership in your life, in teams that you may lead or others around you, in familial relationships, your friends, your roommates, whatever it may be. And there's another one, another emotion that drives this, and it's indifference. And the, this is really not really the, the, the emotion, but it's the lack of emotion, right? Indifference. It's a lack of a feeling where there should be something done. The difference really is a lack of concern when there should be concern. And we rarely actually own this or really, you know, identify it. It's not very common for like, you know what, I really just don't care what happens to them. And that maybe there's somebody you're really angry at and like you, but you wouldn't say that out loud, right? That's, that's, that shows what's going on in your heart. But like what we say, though, is um, I shouldn't interfere. It's probably not the best time, right? Or they haven't asked for my input. They didn't ask. All right, all right, so, you know, it's none of my business. And that might be true. There are instances where it's none of your business. 
you know, like if your mother-in-law interferes and says, you know, these comments about you, you know, that's probably not what should be said. I, I'm joking a little bit because my, my mother-in-law is, in the, in the is with us this weekend, and so like uh, that, that mother-in-laws always get the blame for that, right? And I'm thankful she's not like that. But um, you know, those are the, the the that's not the the, the instances that we're talking about here. We avoid things and we make up words with indifference, but we don't want indifference leading us. Think about it this way. What if you were doing something that was incredibly destructive? What if you're not leading your own life well and your emotions are just getting the best of you and it's wrecking your life and you know you're walking down this destructive path and and you just need that friend to step in? As your emotions is envy or pride or anger or whatever it may be, is just that you, somebody can see it's the boss of you. And you need that person. You want that person who loves you that can lean into your life and say, hey, hey, you know, this is not okay. Do you see what's happening? Or, hey, please don't date that person. Do you see who they are? And we rarely can see who they are because our emotions are just so driving everything. They're like, do you see what they're posting? Or they say to other people, did you know about this? And you need that friend to say, you shouldn't do this. Or saying, hey, life doesn't have to be this way. Let's engage this together. Do you want that friend to step in and have that compassion and love for you to say that? You don't want them listening to the voice of fear or indifference. I remember my wife and I, uh, with our first child, when she was born, uh, we came into the birth very confident. Uh, we had, you know, we were in our late 20s and, you know, we had, we had, we, had waited, you know, we, we got married later in our 20s and then our, you know, baby was coming along and maybe it was early 30s, I can't remember. We had been around a lot of people, family members that had children and we had been reading on parenting and uh, being in the ministry, I had probably taught on it in some kind of way and so we had all this knowledge and we felt like we had this confidence that, you know, having kids later than other friends of ours that like, gave us greater wisdom and time. And so we came in thinking, we've got this. We're ready for this. And any parent that's here today knows what I'm about to say. But we were hit with this wall and this baby <laughs> that was just crying nonstop. And we didn't know what we were doing. We were exhausted. And, and so we, you know, we were up late. And we had all these issues with sleep and issues with feeding. And she, our, our daughter eventually developed this, this pattern of cluster feeding. And she just feed nonstop until like 1 a.m. to eventually be so exhausted and finally we get to sleep and we were just constantly exhausted. I was working in a tense job at the time and so we just needed help and we were just saying, you know, it's just a baby. Babies are hard and babies can be hard, but there's other things going on, but it was hard to admit that. And so finally my, my, my wife reached out to a friend of hers, a best friend from college who had three children already that was doing it well, you could see. And, I, and what's funny is my recollection of this was when she just had a phone conversation. I totally forgot this how crazy this time was. She actually came to visit. She came to us to be with my wife and to, to comfort her. And she probably said things like, you know, I know, yes, it's hard. I'm so sorry. I know you're tired. Let me hold your baby for you and help give you a little bit of rest. And, you know, parents will come and do that. But here's what she also said. Out of the wisdom what she saw happening, she says, you know, yeah, babies are hard. That's true. But you're not doing this right. <laughs> and essentially what she said in probably a very loving way was you're blowing it. Like you're just, you're doing it wrong. She was able to come out and say that what you're doing, yeah, there's things that are happening, but 
essentially you're the cause of this. There's wise things, there's things that we know that you need to do, and you're not doing them. And so in a roundabout way, she's saying, you're the problem. And what I eventually figured out was she could have said to me, hey, you know, every idea that you have about sleep once you've been doing the baby, you know, whatever your husband's saying, like, you just do the opposite of that right now. Like, that's what you should not be doing. And so a lot of people will come forward and say, like, well, well who would say that? This is an exhausted mom and, and dad a little bit. The mom is the one that's more exhausted. She gets all the glory there, right? So it's like, she just can't say that hard words. Like, the last thing, she just needs, she just needs encouragement and comfort. You can't say that to her. Who would say that? Well, the, the best friend from college who has the wisdom and knows this is the most loving thing that I could say. That's who would say that. And it changed what we did. She was like, here's, read this, study this, do these things. Here's the, like she began to give instruction and we began to read and pursue it. And it changed our entire view of how we even parented. And it turned things around quickly. We are so grateful for that person. And it also took us being willing to listen. It takes both. And we're so thankful that she didn't let her fear of speaking out and saying something to exhausted parents. She said what needed to be said. And so we're learning to trust our Heavenly Father. That's what this whole series is about. And so I want to bring us to that today. There's a, there's a voice. We want to walk away from these emotions and listen to the, a better voice, our good shepherd, whose instruction many times doesn't always feel good. And we say Jesus is the you know, incredible wisdom. His resurrection proves that he's the son of God and he has the words of life. And we think it's all should be loving. But if you follow Jesus, at some point it's going to challenge your life because he's going to lead you away from something that's destructive and towards life. And it's not always what we want to hear. It doesn't always feel good. So I want to bring you to one of these moments. This is found in Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 15. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, so what, what, how do we define that? Your brother or sister does something wrong against you. They've offended you as a person, or they've, they've done something to break their relationship with God. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or, per, or, brother or sister sins, he says, go and point out their fault. Wait, wait, really? Some of you are like, did Jesus say that? Like, is this a joke? Like, are you, some of you are like, all right. Some of you are on this journey towards following Christ. Like, all right, that's reason enough for me. Not, I'm done. Like, I'm not to follow Jesus. Like, wow. I am like, who's, who does that? People who care, people who really love do that. They're saying no to indifference or to discomfort or fear. And so I want to give you context for this statement. So we're going to go back to the beginning of this, this section here, Matthew 18, 1, and show you the conversation. He was having this conversation with his followers that were around him. And it was interesting because they actually initiated this whole thing. And so they came to him and says, this is Matthew 18, he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I love this because this happened a ton. It shows like our hearts. We're, we're, we're always in it for ourselves, right? They they're like, all right, this is Messiah. We're sure of it. He's come. Like, he has the words of life. And, like, and someday he's going to establish a new kingdom. And we're like, we're the, we're, the, we're the people following him. We're the men and women. We're going to be right there. And that's totally what a lot of them were thinking. And so they, this bla- they would just reveal their hearts here. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? 
And it was just this open door for us to see and understand the heart of God. And so Jesus says here, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you change. There's a there's a word. This is like a warning salvo. It's like there's something in your hearts that needs to change here. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is obvious. He's not actually, he's not speaking literally like you've got to shrink down and become like a kid, like some weird movie. Like, obviously, he's using the child as an analogy of what's going on in our hearts. He continues. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. So, meaning to like to fall down, right? To get tripped up or thrown off course. That's what stumble means. If you cause them to stumble, and listen to how intense this is. He says, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. And bringing the child in the midst showed that, show, was showing them that, that everyone has incredible value. And the culture of the time tend to push down women and children and so he's, he's making a point that everyone has incredible value in God's kingdom. This is not about who is the greatest. He's like, be careful. He says, such things are going to come. He continues here. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. He says, such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. He's like, These, the things that make us you know, mess up, wonder, stumble, blow it, you know, screw up life, like he says, those things are going to be there. But woe to the person that is making this happen and bringing this about. And he's essentially saying that don't enable and be somebody's mistake. Don't be the reason they got off course or lost their way. And Jesus is saying, pay attention because this is a really big deal. Well, how big of a deal? Well, listen to this. He continues. He says, if your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. He's like, listen, and this is obviously an analogy, right? He's like, if there's anything in your life that has the potential to get you off course, to create a regret or can trip you up, he's like, pay attention. He goes, understand this has incredible destructive power. He's saying, get rid of it. Do whatever it takes. Your heart, who you are is at stake. And the reason that he's using such extreme measures is to show us how much he loves us and cares for us. And that he shows God will do anything to help you from getting tripped up and stumbling in all the areas of your life. Jesus is saying, hey, understand, this is so extreme. You understand these examples? He says, this is a big deal because you're a big deal. Who you are, who you're becoming, what's happening in the future of your life is a really big deal, and I care deeply about it. This requires an extreme response because of how much I love you, how much I care about you. And real love shows us that it goes beyond the feelings and the struggles that we have that we're willing to say the hard things. And for you and I, when we get caught in the moments of life, the urgency of everyday life, we are, it's just hard or impossible for us to see the future, the end of things. But God does. He knows where all of our actions will lead. The decisions that we make, 
the people that we date, what we drink, what we eat, where we live, the debt that we incur, he knows where it's going. He can see beyond. So he's calling us to trust him. And we should listen. We should learn to lean in and even examine the things that are hard because many times it feels condemning. If it feels condemning, you should go back to our podcast and listen to the guilt week because it shows that he came so we didn't have to worry about that anymore. And so essentially he summarizes this in the next verse. He says, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Wow. He's like, do you see there's destructive consequences to our choices? And I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, there's this, this kid in the middle is like, can I, can I be done? Like, am I, is this okay? Like, all this intensity is like, wow, this is really intense right now. I don't know the kid is still standing there, but I was just, you know, this is happening. <laughs> so Jesus is, it's like, do you understand this leading, these things are leading you and I to chaos and destruction. So he's making the point, it's better to throw some things away than to live your life in the chaos. And when this happens, your life, it's like, it's like a hell on earth for you. So you guys know these emotions, right? You wish that, you know, have you ever stumbled <laughs> and you live with that regret? You wish you'd never met her or him or returned that text or wish you hadn't had the second drink and wish you had thrown these things away instead of being thrown into chaos. And so then Jesus continues. He switches gears and begins to get very personal. And so he continues. He says, what do you think? And he begins to tell them a familiar parable they had heard before. We see this. He mentions this in other, other, other things where he tells these stories to help prove an example. But this one had a little bit of a different application this time. So he says here, he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. There's that, that word, wanders, right? Gets away. He's like, you know, it's like if one of them stumbles off, gets lost, lost its way. He says, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And when he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Do you ever wonder how God views you when you just feel like you've been far away? Or how many times did I do this? Can I really keep coming back? And every time, he's seeking after you and I. He's seeking after us. And Jesus says, he says, in the same way, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He says, the most vulnerable among you have incredible value. He's referring back to the child. So I guess the child is still there. <laughs> he listens to these incredible words and perish is meaning to be lost or ruined. He says, God does not want our lives to be led in these directions. I'm really glad that Jesus feels this way. I love that our, our Heavenly Father loves us this, this much, that He's willing to come after us when we wander away. He's not coming after us to, to shame us or to say, push us down in our guilt and beat us down in those moments. No, because of His death, He, he came here so that He could come and get rescue us. And we could be freed, and we could be freed of that guilt. We could be forgiven. He wants us to come back every single time time. 
And so I think of those that are listening, like, wow, this is great to know. Thank you for bringing this. This is a a good thing to know about our heart. But Jesus is like, wait, wait, there's more to this. And here's where this gets into today's really the crux of everything today. I mean, Jesus didn't say that, but he would have been like, wait, 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 there's more. (laughs) And he says this. This is powerful. He says, if your brother or sister sins, then he begins to give them instructions. Essentially, then you go and point out their fault. It brings us back to that where we read that earlier, right? It's like whether you feel like it or not, it is just between the two of you. And to which you and I were like, oh, that's, that's, that's none of my business. <laughs> that's not for me. And Jesus is like, nope, I just made that your business. He's like, I want you to understand this is critical. This is how I've made you to work in relationships one of a, with one another. I just made it your business. And he continues, he says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. This is the joy of why we do this, why we engage with them. You've won them over. They will thank you forever because you're now part of their story. You're leading them towards a a better life in the future, a character change. But he says this, but if they will not listen, and if I was a disciple there, I'd be like, all right, if they... Does that mean that um, I've done my part? Do I get extra credit? Do I like like I don't go to, I don't have to go to church for a month or so? I don't know. Like, do I get to? Is there no more lightning strikes? Is there like this deal that we work out? And like, yeah, they won't listen. I did it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Take one or two others along, so that in, that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they don't listen, bring others in, and it, you wouldn't believe the wisdom of this. If we would do this in our lives, we keep it private. We bring others in to establish, uh, to establish trust. Everyone is heard. And so we're like, who does that? Well, good shepherds, people who care about you, your heavenly Father, and people who are not going to hide behind sensitivity or indifference. These are the ones that do this. They step in and say, you are important. We care about you enough to do these things. And then he says, if they still refuse to listen, which we were like, oh man, like, surely not. Like, this is really getting uncomfortable now. <laughs> like, if there's another step, he says, tell it to the assembly. Which means take it to their community. The people who know and care and can restore them. This is a phenomenally solid process. Even if you don't believe in God, you, you should look into this because you know, we, we believe he has the words of life. This would work in just about any setting. And this is talking about really a, a community that somebody's around and in of trust, people who love one another. He says, and if they refuse to listen, even to the assemblies, the community that they're in, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector, which this specific community they're in was like, this is Treat them as if they're outside of your culture and your context. It's like as if, you know, you wouldn't even know them. As if they had different values or different worldview. At that point, you back off. Then it's not your business anymore. That's what he's saying. The assumption going in was that they came from common ground. And many times that is the best thing you could ever do. And they walk into the destruction that you're warning them from. And many times after experiencing that, they look back and they see that was the person who was willing enough to say this. They were right. And many times that also will bring them back 
They know that you care about them probably more than anyone else. Let's go back to what he said earlier. He says, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just, just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. This is love. You and I, as Christ followers, are to do this, whether we feel like it or not, whether you want to do it or not. Aaron, my wife and I, we have done this many times. In engaging in relationship, in leadership, this is a, a, a critical principle. And we're still learning to do. Others, others do it with us, and we've done it even with each other. And we're, we've learned, we've had professionals come into our life to help us understand how to do this well with one another. Love, real love, isn't silent. Someone who cares about you isn't silent. Our God, our Heavenly Father, knows us. Remember the warnings that he gave? How critical this is? I know many of you want to push back on this. Say, I, I don't want to do this in my life. But we want to run. But we're learning to trust the goodness of a God that we sing about. Sometimes... Eventually, someone will come back, and they'll thank us for saying this. That's happened. It's always uncomfortable. And, and there, there's been times where it's, it's signaled the end of a relationship. And that's not easy. But we love. We're here to serve and to love others. So we're learning not to push back or camouflage our discomfort and apprehensions. We're learning to trust our Father. God, your heavenly Father, knows that you and I need this. He knows that you and I need two things, right? He knows you need a community who care about your heart. We're going to put these two things up for you. A community of people who care about your heart. This is who we want to be as a church family here. And friends who care more about who you are than what you give them. That what you do for them, they care about who you are becoming. And our culture really generally just pushes, like, tells us to reject this. Like, you know, love is just whatever it is. Just let it happen. And, and love is amazing and powerful, and we need to pursue this. God has shown us it's, it's, it's so powerful for us. But it's not just saying, you know, whatever for your life. Love is also saying, no, this is destructive for you. We're learning to get past those emotions and step into life. For me personally, I have a handful of people who have been totally tasked with telling me whatever I need to hear. And they do it. And I am learning from my Heavenly Father to lean in and to listen. My wife and I are learning every year to trust each other's heart more and more. When we say that thing to each other, we listen and we trust what they want to say to us. And almost every time, it's words that are bringing life to me. And it's not easy to do, but we're learning to be community. We're learning to receive this and to love another this way. Let's learn to trust our Father with this. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you so much for your pursuit of us. 
that no matter how far we wander off or how much we stumble and blow it and we feel the destructive forces, you are there to bring us back. May we experience that love and trust you and to love one another this way. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now,